Well, this morning uh, we are wrapping up just a two-part series uh, that I started two weeks ago, and the series is titled, God Wants Your Money. And uh, I know some of us giggle at that title. If you are a guest here this morning, don't worry. The person who invited you this morning is uncomfortable about the fact that we're talking about money on the day they invited you. Uh, but this is how it works. We're talking about uh, money today. Now, for some of you, the reason you don't like church or you've been annoyed by church in the past is because it feels like the church is always talking about money, always talking about money. So I said this two weeks ago. Why would I entitle a series, God Wants Your Money? Because it's true. It just doesn't mean what you think it means. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. We're going to dig into this. And there's a principle God's going to lay out for us this morning that is meant to challenge us and challenge the way we think about money, the way that we relate with money. And so I encourage you to have an open heart to this. But, but the ideas that we talk about today, I just want to warn you, it can impact multiple areas in your life. So I'm believing even this morning as I speak that by the Holy Spirit, you're going to hear him calling you and challenging you in maybe areas of your life that you've never thought of before, you've maybe never wrestled before, all right? So if you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 10? Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse number 17. And if you would, would you stand with me across the room? So we're going to read our text together this morning. I say it all the time. There's nothing sacred about sin. And this is our way of reverencing God's word. Saying, God, we honor your words more than my words. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him with love. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you do want to speak to us this morning. And Lord, this is an area where for a lot of us, it's uncomfortable. We don't want to, really want to hear about this. But Lord, I know the reason you spoke about this a lot is because it can so easily entangle us. And so Lord, I pray today that you would give clarity um, speak to us clearly how this message relates to where we are at in life right now. Pray that in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Hey, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to fess up. Are you a spender or a saver? Turn to your neighbor. You saver or spender? All right, all right. How many of you, you're like, I don't know. I don't know which one I am. I'm, not, I'm just, I'm undecided, okay? Not many of you. How many of you are spenders? Raise your hand, you're a spender, okay? You don't even want to say it, do you, okay? How many of you are savers? Raise your hand if you're a saver in the room. Okay, now put your hands down. This is for the married couples. How many of you married people are married to someone who is the opposite of whatever you are, <laughs> okay? We get that sometimes. Put your hand down, Amber, okay? Um, right? Like, like, this is one of those things that can be challenging, but here's, here's the problem that we can have when it comes to money and stuff, is that we can easily demonize the ones who are the opposite of us, right? Whoever's the opposite of, and so for the spenders, when we look at the savers, it's really easy to say, you're boring, 
live a little, right? You only live once. Have fun. Quit saving everything. We got we to gotta buy something. You got to go do some stuff. Have some fun for the, for the savers out there, you know, to the spenders. You're thinking, quit wasting money, right? Quit being foolish. Stop being stupid. We got to prepare for the future. We got to have retirement. We got to prepare those kind of things. We can have those mindsets. There, there can be truth in both of those statements, honestly. Like, some of us need to live a little. Some of us probably could stand to... S- Amber, stop it. <laughs> She's hooting to spend more money. Uh, some, of us, some of us could stand to save a little more money. Let's just be honest with that, okay? But both spenders and savers can get off course when it comes to a relationship with money. We both can Neither are immune to the lure of money and wealth. They just aren't. Two weeks ago, we looked at this simple challenge that Jesus gave. If you were with us in Matthew chapter six, where he said this, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve. He didn't say, oh, it's hard. This is really difficult. You're gonna have to work at this one. He said, nope, you can't. It's impossible. There's no way you can serve both God and money. Either God will have your heart or money and wealth will have your heart. And so I closed two weeks ago, if you weren't here, I closed with a big so what that said this, does God have your money or does money have you? The call for us is to place our hope and our trust and our confidence in God. But so often we can look to money and to wealth as the source for our confidence in life. For the spender out there, Like you're looking for money to be your source, to be your confidence, those kind of things. So you just think, if I could just buy that one thing, if we could go do that one thing, if I could just have that one thing, that would fill me, that would give me life, that would make me feel better in some way. But for the saver out there, your confidence comes from as long as there's enough money in the savings account, I can feel confident, I feel secure. If there's not enough money there, man, there's insecurity in your heart. You're overwhelmed. And see, both of those views of money can be toxic to you. Why? Because we make an idol out of money and wealth and stuff. It replaces God as the source of security and peace and confidence in our lives. And when we figuratively begin worshiping the idols of money and wealth and stuff, we unknowingly become entangled and enchained by the very thing we're running after. And so Jesus encounters a man here in the story that we just read together. He, he encounters this man who's struggling in a way that I think a lot of us can, if we're honest, we can struggle in this way. And he, he wrestles with this idea of money with him for just a moment. If you're familiar with the story, it's the story of the rich young ruler. How do we know it's the rich young ruler? Because it doesn't say all that in this passage. This shows up in three of the gospels. So when you put it all together, we get this understanding. This guy's rich, right? He's, he's young and he's a ruler of some sort. So when I see this guy rolling up here, in my mind, I visualize a modern guy just walking up, just clearly loaded, right? He's wearing the Balenciaga. He's got whatever on. He's just looking fresh, looking good. Clearly money is a big deal for this guy. And he rolls up to Jesus and he asks him what I would consider a really good question. How, how can I inherit eternal life? Like that's a great question. And how many of you think if you're going to ask that question, Jesus is a good person to ask that question of, right? That's a good idea. We should ask Jesus this question. And so Jesus responds to him, and and he says, you know the commandments, right? You know what has been asked of you. You know what what I've called you to. And he begins to list, you know, don't murder, don't commit adultery. He gives this whole list of these things. And what I love is this guy who's this rich young ruler, right? 
it's, you can hear it in the reading, like there's a confidence. He's like, when he's reading the list, you can just hear the guy's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he steps up when he's, he's like, I've done all these since I was a kid, right? I've done all these things. Like, seriously, this guy does not want for arrogance in his life. Like, he's very self-confident in this moment. I've done all these things. And what I love is Jesus' response to the guy. He says he looks on him in love. It's like pity. You're like, oh, stupid man. (laughs) You think you've done all this stuff perfectly. You don't even realize how off you are in this moment. And so Jesus, in his loving way, puts his finger clearly on the one area in this guy's life where clearly he's gotten off a little bit. And so he says to him what we just read, one thing you lack, right? Okay, you've done all the things. One thing you lack here. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. It's as if Jesus knew, this guy, he says he wants eternal life. He says that he's following me, and and he wants to, to know God, and he wants to walk with God. But there's something else that has his heart. He sees it. And so he calls out money and wealth. See, what I find interesting is that Jesus didn't ask this of everyone. Like there were plenty of encounters that Jesus had with other people that he didn't ask them and demand them to sell everything. Why did he do it with this guy? Because he knew this is the problem with this guy. This is the issue. He's got another idol in his life. He's got something else that's controlling him and and we've got to deal with this. Otherwise, he's never going to experience eternal life. Okay? And so Jesus says this to him. And the man says that at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And when you look at this, the reality is he loved his wealth here on earth more than he loved the idea of inheriting eternal life. He had his priorities completely off in this moment. The God of the universe, literally, the God of the universe is standing right in front of him explaining how he can receive eternal life. And he says, no, I'd rather have my money. I'd rather have my stuff than experiencing eternal life. How sad is that? And the question that I want us to wrestle with together this morning is this. How do we avoid the same stupid decision? How do we avoid it? How do we avoid the same pitfall that so many people in our world fall into where they are grabbing hold of the stuff and the money and the wealth rather than holding on to the one who wants to give us eternal life? How do we avoid doing that? And I think there is a principle that we see at play in scripture that is meant to combat this idol of wealth in our life. And it is the principle of the tithe. The principle of the tithe. Now, when I talk about this, there are three groups in the room. There are, is a group in the room that has no idea what the tithe is. And when I say tithe, you're like, I have no idea. What, don't worry, I'm going to explain it in a moment, everybody, okay? But there's a second group in this room when I talk about the tithe. There's, there's a group that knows what the tithe is, but you are a non-tither. You're just not, not tithing right now. You know what it is, you don't do it, okay? So when I start talking about tithing, some of you start feeling, you know, you feel a little guilty. You're like, oh, I'm not a tither, some of you are a little annoyed. I'm, Greg, why do you really have to do this? Some of you get offended. You're like, stop talking about my money, Greg. Like, back off. I don't want to hear this from you. Okay, I get that. Okay, so that's another group in the room. There's a third group in the room. We've got the people who don't know. We've got the people who know and don't tithe. And then we've got the tithers that are in the room. And you know who gets excited when I talk about tithing? The tithers do, okay? Why is that? 
The tithers get real excited. It's not because they've got some spiritual arrogance like, yes, I'm a tither. This is, a, you know, all those other people not tithe. No, the reason is because they have experienced God's provision, his faithfulness, his blessing in their life. As they've taken the step to trust in God, they've seen it in their life. And I could pass the mic around to all the tithers in the room, and I guarantee you there would be story after story after story of God providing when no other thing was going to come through, but God came through in their life. Why? Because they chose to put their hope in him, right? And so this morning, I know we're all in a different place when I talk about this for a moment. I get that. I'll just challenge you to have an open heart just for a moment to see, okay, God, would you want to challenge me in this area? Would you want to speak to me in this area in a different way? All right? And so I want to start with a very simple question. What is the tithe? What is the tithe? How many of you hated math in school? How many of you hated math? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you hated math. That's fine. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, some hands are real high. You really don't like math. That's fine. Okay. So a tithe, it, it literally means a tenth, okay? A tenth. Or what is a tenth in percentage? Anybody know the answer? One tenth? What percentage is that? Good job, everyone. Way to go. We are done with the math portion of the service today, everyone, okay? Okay, 10%. Okay, that's what a tithe is. So from the beginning of God's covenant relationship with his people, when you look at this in scripture, there was this call to bring a tithe to bring a tenth, to bring 10% of whatever was produced, bring it to the Lord. Now, this was an agrarian society originally, okay? Uh, do we have any farmers in the house? Any farmers in the house? We got any farm? We got one, all right. Any other farmers in the house? Sweet, we're, we're two for two. We had one farmer in the first service as well, okay? So when you think about a tithe as it relates to farming in an agrarian society, you know, you harvest crop, right? What is a tithe? You bring the very a 10%, right? The 10th of your crop you bring to the Lord. If you have a herd, what do you do? You bring a 10th of your herd. You bring a tithe. You bring 10% of your herd and you offer it to the Lord. In our world, you know, for most of us, we don't have a herd. We don't have a crop. So what are we talking about? We're talking about our income, the things that we are able to produce in our life. So simply put, if you want to know what the tithe is, the tithe is simply bringing 10% of our income to the Lord. But there's another principle that's at play in Scripture that I think is equally as challenging for us, and it is this. It is the principle of the first fruits. What does that mean? On multiple occasions throughout Scripture, uh, there is this command from God to bring the first and to bring the best as an offering of gratitude to the Lord. So whether it's crops, you got crops, you got a herd, you got whatever it is, you bring the first and bring the best as an offering to the Lord. And so when we talk about the tithe, right? We talk, what is the tithe? The tithe is 10%, but it's not just any 10%. It is the first 10%. It's bringing the first 10% as an offering to the Lord. That's what the tithe is. So for the tithers in the room, those who are tithers, you're like, yep, it's totally normal. That's what I do. That's, that's a normal thing, normal part of my life. But for everybody else, this sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? <laughs> For everybody, if you're like, I'm not a tithe, that sounds crazy. For some of you, that seems overwhelming. For some of you, that seems extreme. And for some of you, you're like, that's foolish. That's just stupid. I would not do that. I'm not giving the first 10% of what I make to, to God. Why would I ever do that? Why? Remember, Jesus said this, you will serve God or money. And so he gave us the gift of the tithe as a way of combating one of the biggest struggles that we have as humans, okay? 
He gave it as a gift. I think a lot of people see the tithe as bondage. Oh, God's given this. He just wants to take my money. Not at all. Guess what? God doesn't need your money, okay? He doesn't need your money. He's giving you the gift of the tithe as a means for you to experience the freedom. His way of living, we say this all the time, his way of living is one that produces life. He wants good for us. But guess what? If we're gonna experience the life he desires, it's only found in submission to his way of doing things, okay? And obviously it's gonna look different than everybody else because most people aren't experiencing the life he has for them, okay? And so God gives us this principle. And so what I wanna do is I'm gonna, with the time that we have left here, I wanna close with just giving a few thoughts around this idea of the tithe because I think it's helpful for us to think about this, to see this differently. And I wanna challenge every one of you, wherever you're at, because all of us are in a different place as it relates to money, as it relates to our relationship with God. I want you to hear the heartbeat of this because fundamentally none of this is actually about money. God wants your money, but it's not about the money, all right? So hear what he's saying here. The first thought that I wanna leave you with is this, is that the tithe is an act of submission. The tithe is an act of submission. The tithe is really a question of who's in control. Who's actually calling the shots in your life? Because a lot of us, we like to say that. You know, we love to say, Jesus, you're in control. God, I give you my life. We sing all the songs. We do all that kind of stuff. But, but is he really in control? Does he really get to call the shots in every area of our life? Because a lot of us are willing to let him call the shots in certain things. Like, I'll let you control this area of my life. But there are some of us in the room that say, God, I submit to you. But sexually, you're totally going in a way contrary to what he's asked of you. Okay. There's some of you that you say, I submit to you, Jesus, but that person who hurt you, you have been unwilling to forgive them. And when it comes to our money, he's saying, listen, you say you, I, you're submitted to me, you've given everything to me. How about when it comes to your money? Are you really willing to submit even in that area of my life? Are you gonna stay in control of your life? See, that's what the tithe is. It's, it's an act of submission. It's a challenge for us to not just say it, but to live out what we are saying we are doing, Okay. But it's more than just submission. The tithe is an act of trust. It's an act of trust. Think about it with me for a second. Think about the concept of first fruits. Why is giving the first fruits, your first crop, your first herd, whatever it is, why is that such a big deal, particularly in an agrarian society? Because if you give the first and you give the best, there's no guarantee you're going to get the rest. If I harvest my crops, I harvest my, and I take the very first thing that I harvest and I give it to the Lord, what happens if a storm comes through tomorrow and destroys the rest of your crop? You're putting yourself in a very vulnerable position. That's why the first fruits matter so much because what you're saying is, listen, God, my trust is not in my crops. My trust is in you. I'm giving you my first. I'm putting my hands, my life into your hands, and I'm trusting you're going to be the provision, not my crops. It's you, Lord. Okay? The same thing is true with the herd. You bring the herd, you give the very first, the best, the most healthy of your herd, you give it to the Lord. What happens if the rest of your herd gets sick and dies? You're saying, God, my hope is not in my herd. It's not in my flocks. God, my hope and my trust and my confidence is in you. I give it all to you. See, this is what it looks like. This is ultimately the tithe is an act of trust. It's saying, God, I don't just say I trust you. I behave in a way that says I trust you even when it comes to the practical money stuff of my life that can feel so mundane sometimes, it is deeply spiritual because it reveals where my trust really is. 
But there's a step beyond that, and I think this is something we miss at times. It says this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 through 10. It says this, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor him with what you got, okay? With the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. See, there's this concept that we see in Scripture as well of this, is that the first blesses the rest. What we invest in first blesses the rest, right? Then are we willing to put it in God's hands? Because I think about most of our lives, well, who gets our first? The government gets our first money. <laughs> the mortgage company gets our first money. Right? Your car payment gets your first money. Whatever it is, somebody's getting your first money. Let me just ask you a question. Do you think the mortgage company is looking to bless you in any way? <laughs> and yet we're giving them the first, right? And God's saying, no, 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 listen. I want, I want to be your source. I want to be pr- your provision, and see, this is the whole beauty of the tithe. that's saying, God, I give you the first 10%. And here's what I'm going to say. God, I would rather live off of 90% with your blessing than live off 100% without your blessing. That's what the tithe. It's saying, God, my trust and my confidence, I'm behaving in such a way that my trust and confidence is in you. I'm not the source. It's not me, God. I'm trusting in your hand in my life. Okay? I've used this example before, um, but I want to I go to it again because I think it's just really helpful for us. I got, I've got 10 $10 bills up here, 10 $10 bills. How much money is that? $100, good job. We got math whizzes out here today, okay? I got 10 $10 bills up here. So when you think about, uh, just consider this what normally comes in in a month, all right? Wouldn't buy a whole lot these days, but okay. You get $100 comes in, okay? And what happens in our normal? What's a normal way that we operate in money? Well, the first thing is, Government gets their money. I'm like, there's 30% is gone almost right away, okay? And then what, you got to pay your mortgage, right? Everybody's got, you got to pay your mortgage, you got to pay rent, right? If you're renting, you got to pay rent. Like, they're coming after it too. It's like half your money is already gone, okay? And then you still got to pay your bills. You know, you got, you got electric bill, you got gas bill, you got to pay for your phone. Maybe you got a car payment, you got something like that, and just keep taking money. And then, but beyond that, you got to pay for other stuff. Like, you got to actually pay for food. And then if you have kids, they eat a lot, and you keep having to pay for food and stuff and all the kind of stuff. And eventually, it's a lot of us, we get to the end of the month, and, and everything's gone. But there's some months where maybe there's a little bit left. I got a little bit left over. And if if you're really feeling generous that month, you might say, God, I'm going to give a little bit of my leftovers to you, Lord. And although that's a nice thing to do, is there any level of trust in that action? No, it's giving the extra. It's giving what's left over. See, I want to model for you, what does the tithe look like? The tithe, tithe says this, I get paid. This is my income. God, I trust you. I trust you. My source is not my income. My source is not my boss. My source is not the economy. My source is not the government. God, you're my source. You're my hope. I trust in you. And I'm trusting that you will bring the provision in every area of my life. Whatever I need, I'm depending on you to be my source. I'm putting myself in a situation where I say, God, I need you to come through. This is not me. I'm not the answer. Okay? But it's more than just simply an act of trust. It's an act of submission to say, God, I put you first in my finances. This will not control me. This will not own me. My life is not to to worship the almighty dollar. No, God, I'm here to worship you, to prioritize my life, to live in such a way that says, God, I'm submitted to you and I trust you. And I'm believing for you to give me whatever I need. That's what the trust, that's what the tithe is. It's a step of submission. It's a step of trust. 
It's orienting yourself in a way that says, God, you get the first, you get the best. This is my act of worship, submission, and trust in your name. And so I want to just leave us all with a challenge here tonight, or a big so what. Big so what's always simple, but this morning it's this. Put your money where your mouth is. You all know that phrase, right? You've heard it before. When do we use that phrase? You got a big talker, you know? Somebody's acting big talk. They're like talking a big game, doing all this kind of stuff. And finally, somebody's like, put your money where your mouth is. What are you saying when that happens? Saying, prove it. Prove it. Quit talking about it. Prove it. And I just want to challenge us with all the love in my heart that I can muster up here is that there are times in life where where we need to say, God, I'm not just going to talk the talk. Because it's easy. We come here, we we sing the songs. Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you. I love you. I submit my life to you. That's great. And it's important that we take the step to verbalize those things. But just as equally important is that we have to live those things. And so I say when it comes to our finances, put your money where your mouth is. Are you living out in a posture of submission? Do your finances demonstrate an act of trust and submission to Christ? Are you giving him your first? Are you giving him your best? Are you working? If you're not today, are you willing to start saying, God, I'm, well, I'm ready to begin that journey with you? Two weeks ago, I had a young adult stop to me after service. and said, Greg, you're messing with me on this one. And she just said, yeah, you, you talked about this, whatever. And I looked at my finances and I'm like, ah, there's not really anything in my finances demonstrating that God's in control. And maybe you're in the same place. If you were to look at your finances, would there be any demonstration that God is first and that you're putting your trust in him? See, when it comes to money, this can be an awkward conversation. It's like, I'm like, I'm not all excited. I get to talk about money. But at the same time, I really am. Because God's desire for you is freedom from this. This is a bondage that holds us. It is increasingly holding our world. Our missions team came back and I I heard a number of them sharing about the fact that these people they were serving had no money. They had nothing. And yet there was a joy and a dependence on Christ that they had never seen before. You don't have to have the money and the stuff to actually have submission to Christ and trust in Him. But for us, the stuff that we have ends up getting in the way of us trusting in Jesus. And so this is an invitation. This isn't a command like, bad people, give more money. No, no. Step into the freedom God has for you. Step into the life He has for you. Quit getting held back by the idols that are destroying us and eating us up. Experience that freedom around here. And I don't mind talking about it because I tell you guys all the time, this is how we as a church operate. You know, I tell you this first off that I don't know what anybody around here makes and I'll never know what, or gives. I don't know what you make either, but I don't, I don't know what anybody here gives. I'll never know what anybody here gives. I don't want to know because I want to pastor people and not dollar signs. I'm here to just serve you. So I don't come here with this and you don't have to feel like, oh, Greg knows what my giving records are. So that's why he's preaching. Nope, don't give a rip about that. I'm preaching this because this is truth that every one of us needs to hold on to. But I'm also saying we as a church operate the same way. We give, you hear it all the time, the first 10% that comes in these doors, we send back out these doors to support missions around the world. That is our way of tithing. That's our way of saying, God, we trust in you. And we, we do that the first. It's the best. It's whatever we have. Why? Because we would rather work and serve on, and have God's 90% with his blessing on our hand than serve with 100% without his blessing on our hand. Okay? 
We want to trust him. At the end of the day, the source for Zoe Church is not me. It's not us. The source is God. We're going to depend on him. We're going to trust in him. And I want that for every single one of your lives, that you don't get into a place where you're always depending on yourself. Because guess what? You will hit a point in your life where you know you're not the answer. You will get to a place where you know you are not enough. But when you have built your life on Christ, when you have built your hope in Him, no matter what you face, you know, Christ, you're my source. And when it comes to my money, God, I'm not the answer. And I'm not going to behave that way. I'm going to act and live in such a way to say, God, I put you first. I trust in you. I submit to you in every way. That's the invitation. So this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't want any of you to feel a sense of guilt in this. I want you to feel a sense of invitation. Say, I want to step into something better than what I'm living today. And I know for some of you, you're walking through hard fights. We got people in our church walking through hard things financially. And I understand that. And there's seasons where you got to work through some things together. You got, we got to help each other. Even this giving tree, there's people walking through hard stuff. We just want to help each other. Because there's going to be times like that. And that's okay. But would all of us pursue a different relationship with money than what the world is telling us? Would we live differently? Would we think differently? We reorient our priorities according to his kingdom and not our kingdom. All right? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes across the room. Father, we thank you so much for your invitation to something better. We thank you for your invitation to something more beautiful. It doesn't look like the way of the world. It, it, it feels different even when you talk about it. It feels different than the way of the world. And yet there's life there because it's, it genuinely feels good. So Lord, I'm just praying for freedom for our hearts. Would you help us to be increasingly dissatisfied with the stuff and the things and the temporal stuff? God, would, would you give us a greater passion for the things that are eternal? Would you give us a greater desire to invest in the things that last rather than wasting on the stuff that's gonna be out of style next week. God, would you help us in that? God, would you help us to, to trust you, not just to say it, but to actually live it? Would you help us to submit to you, not when it's comfortable and convenient, but even when it's hard and uncomfortable? Help us to, to have those hearts, Lord. And if it, if it is an area of finances, Lord, I pray that you would teach us step-by-step step what it looks like to live for you in a greater way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give you a moment still to just have a moment with Jesus. Maybe you just need to surrender. Maybe it's an area of finance. You just need to ask God's forgiveness and submit that to him. Maybe there's something else he's been highlighting in your life where you've been kind of doing your own thing. You just need to confess that to the Lord. I'm gonna give you 30 seconds to do that and then we're gonna take a moment to respond together. Jesus, have your way, have your way, have your way.
Father, I just pray that you would help us to learn to trust, not just with our words, not with our thoughts, God, with our behaviors in every area of our life, we learn to trust, to put your word into action. Just pray that we ask that in your name. Amen. And before we go here today, I just want to give a, a very practical challenge to this message, okay? And the challenge is simply this, pursue the tithe. Pursue the tithe. So what does that mean? I get it. For some of you, when it's, if you're not a tither and you're like, okay, I'm going to tithe like overnight, I can't suddenly be doing that, Greg. Okay, great. Begin to pursue the tithe. What does that look like? It means beginning to give your first to the Lord. I don't care if your first is 10 bucks. Begin giving your first to the Lord. I like to use the phrase premeditated, consistent giving. Meaning premeditated, you plan ahead. Consistent, you do it regularly. And, and give to the Lord, whatever that is. Rather than whenever it's convenient, begin to build that into your life. And begin to say, God, as an act of worship, when you give that, you say, God, I give you my first and I best. Just like you heard me say earlier, like, this is my trust in you. This is my confidence in you. To begin to pursue that. Some of you, you've never gotten to a full tithe. You're saying, God, you want to stretch me and grow me to actually pursue that in my life. I want to challenge you to that. But I also want to talk to the tithers in the room. Because I know this, because there's this tendency, even in my heart at times, to allow the tithe to be a limit to generosity. Say, God, I gave you my tithe. Don't touch any of the rest. That's mine. And will we have an open heart and open ear to say, God, I want to be generous in whatever way you're calling. And maybe God has blessed some of you in extravagant ways. Maybe he's challenging you to extravagant generosity, right? Maybe that's what he's calling you to. I, I don't know, but I'm just praying that God would break us all free of the bondages of stuff and wealth and money so that we can experience the freedom he has for us. Amen? Awesome. I want to pray over us as we go. God, I pray this week as we walk out these doors, help us to live this, not just to think about it, but to live it. God, to put it into action, actually make it specific to each and every one of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.